evening and welcome to the Soho Theatre on April the 7th, 2013 for No Pressure To Be Funny. Created by Alistair Barry and Nick Revel and podcasting on the British Comedy Guide. This month, James O'Brien has fled the country in a selfless bid to show HBOS executives how to do it. So, like the Catholic Church, we've had to find a replacement. We are delighted to welcome a guest host whose Twitter feed memorably describes him as that bloke from Match of the Day 2 and Comedy and Stuff. Please put your hands together for Mr. Kevin Day! (laughs) Hello there. Um, Yes, I'm here as a result of the least reassuring phone call I think I've ever had in my life from Nick Revel, who phoned a couple of weeks ago to say we need a host for No Pressure To Be Funny. No, No Pressure To Be Funny. Well, you don't have to be funny at all. There's absolutely no pressure to be funny. You don't need to say a laugh all night. We think you'd be great. <laughs> uh, good evening and welcome to the first No Pressure to be Funny of British Summertime. <laughs> British Summertime. That's the comedy started already. Admittedly, it is a bit sunny and it is light outside, but it's light inside my fridge and that's fucking freezing as well. <laughs> uh, similarities don't stop there. Like the British weather, I am using my fridge to keep my lamb cold. Yeah, thanks, lads. Let's kick off with a dead, fluffy animal story. Yeah? <laughs> Great way to bed the guest host in. Still, not as crass as the Daily Mail and George Osborne have been this week. At least Mick Philpott's now got the bigger house he wanted. <laughs> uh, George Osborne has further enraged the nation by cutting disability benefits this week. He's also reduced the number of disabled car parking spaces by the novel method of parking them himself. <laughs> Uh, later on, Paolo Di Canio will be here to explain how he's not a fascist, he simply likes training to run on time. Uh, you've got to feel a bit sorry for Paolo Di Canio, no you haven't, he's a fascist. Uh, he spent the whole week explaining that he's not a racist, uh, then it dies down and then he gets a public measure of support from John Terry. Which <laughs> I couldn't get close to interviewing John Terry, but I did interview one of his entourage. He said, the thing about John, he said, he, you've got to remember, he comes from a family of... How can I put this? Mild Nazis. He's <laughs> like, you think, mild Nazi? Mild, how do you do that? It's like, all right. <laughs> you can't be a mild Nazi, can It's like bestiality. You either dabble or you don't. You know. uh, the directors of HBOS have been found guilty of a colossal failure of management in a report into the scandal that saw the bank collapse with losses of over £47 billion. Coincidentally, the same figure that immigrants claim on benefits and spend on spicy food, according to UKIP. (laughs) Uh, Cyprus is close to complete financial collapse. Vladimir Putin has called the situation completely unacceptable, by which he appears to mean another country isn't laundering his gangsters' money properly. (laughs) And finally, it's been revealed that 80% of taxes in Pakistan are not paid. So the country is now to be renamed Google Star Pakistan. (laughs) That'll go down well. It's time now for our musical guest. Uh, I'm delighted to introduce this man. He's a man described by one critic as a Victoria Wood for the Spotify generation, which should nicely confuse whole swathes of Middle England. Will we like him? I don't know. Well, Spotify, I don't know. Please welcome the talents of Mr. Jay Foreman. Thank you. Hello. Now, I saw one thing that cheered me up a little bit. Um, I don't know if you saw in the news that um, TV's Matthew Corbett from The Sooty Show has just joined Twitter but to his dismay, he joined only to find that there's a man already there called at Matthew Corbett with thousands of followers who's been pretending to be him for years. <coughs> and the reason I found this so funny is because, um, I don't know about you, but I've always had a personal vendetta against Matthew Corbett. And um, this is the song, it's the true story as to why. I must have been about five years old when I went to see the sooty show. Standing with 
sooty sweep and sue I reached the front and he was waving at me So yellow, cute and lovable Poor Matthew Corbett, he tried to stop me But sooty was so huggable I ran out and grabbed and squeezed my favourite bear Jay Foreman, everybody! And now it's time to introduce our panel, so keep the applause going. Please welcome Ashlyn B, Steve Richards, Max Kaiser, and Paul Sinner! No one is four of them. Keep going. Keep going. Ashlyn B is an actress and comedian who won a famous comedy competition at the 2012 Edinburgh Festival. As this has formed part of every intro she's received since, we're not going to mention it, uh, partly to be different, but mainly because we never win anything and we're quite bitter. <laughs> TV presenter and journalist Steve Richards is chief political columnist for The Independent and was ranked by the Daily Telegraph last year as the 34th most influential person on the British left. <laughs> Bloody hell. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Uh, Max Kaiser is an American broadcaster and filmmaker and host of the Kaiser Report on Russia Today and On the Edge and Around TV. <laughs> Fuck, you know, they come, oh, they come over here. Max has brought his family in. I had to tell jokes for my applause. <laughs> Uh, apparently no channel in the United States will carry Max's broadcast, which is not an award, but it probably feels like one. So. <laughs> uh, comedian and former Perrier nominee Paul Sinar is now best known for his role as a chaser on the ITV quiz show The Chase, but has been a no-pressure regular for even longer. Jim Davidson was once unnecessarily rude about him, which again may not be an award, but, well, you get the idea. <laughs> the panel, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> As regulars will know, this part of the show is called The Devil's Advocate, where we take a different position on a recent news item just for the sheer bloody-mindedness of it. So with the motion that George Osborne can part where he bloody well wants, please welcome Alistair Barry! Yes, The Devil's Advocate believes that George Osborne can part where he bloody well likes. What a lot of fuss. When a man needs a ginsters, he needs a ginsters. <laughs> and if that man happens to be the Chancellor of the Exchequer, then we should be proud that he chooses to frequent a disabled parking spot at a motorway services in Wales. For a start, without Mr Osborne's help, his idiot driver would undoubtedly be claiming benefits, adding to an already crippling welfare bill, and would definitely turn to a life of hideously unthinkable criminal behaviour just to keep himself in contraband fags and cheap lager. <laughs> Secondly, this is proof, as if proof were needed, that we are all in this together. Mr Osborne needs a pasty, just like we all do from time to time. And erroneous press reports that he prefers Kentucky Fried Pheasant are not just nearly untrue. They are deeply damaging to a man who knows the only way to improve the lot of the many is to reward a lot of the few. <laughs> What's more, this is someone who would have happily paid a tax on his passy if only he hadn't given up on the idea when it proved to be unpopular with a frankly puzzling selection of poor people, many of whom had briefly given up a life of crime in their caravans to object to what was really a perfectly sensible way of raising money to pay for some very important skiing holidays. Furthermore, we could jump in a bus right now and I could take you to the very services in Wales just to prove they exist, which is more than you can say for the Marie Celeste snack shop at Leeds Station where David Cameron claimed to have bought his pasty a couple of years ago. Of course, we can't do this, as statistically at least one of you is likely to be on benefits, so we'd probably seize the wheel of the bus and smash it into the central reservation just to claim the insurance money. 
this type of hysterical uproar is typical of the small-mindedness of the British public at a time when they should really be concentrating on why a balding middle-aged Yorkshireman like William Hague is allowed to spend so much time in a war zone with Angelina Jolie when she is clearly considerably more attractive than him. <laughs> Frankly, if more of you put the legwork in and rented out your extra bedrooms, we could stop this ridiculous campaign to get Ian Duncan Smith to live on £53 a week and let him get on with the important business of counting how many unused rooms there are in Buckingham Palace. <laughs> Just so that another group of vile sponges, the elderly, get their benefits docked appropriately. Except, of course, in this case it's the Queen, so it might be an idea just to give her a £6 million tax-assisted pay rise instead. <laughs> George Osborne can park where he bloody well likes, and at least if he gets a parking ticket, he's got the means to pay for it, unlike the sort of pond-dwelling parasites who probably regard non-payment of fines as a badge of honour, or Barclays, HSBC and RBS as they're otherwise known. Thank you very much. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Barry. Max, welcome, yeah. welcome yeah. to the show. Yeah, My, it's great to be here. Fantastic. My favourite bit of economic news this week was the BBC newsreader who said that the HBOS 3 may struggle to get another job in the financial sector. <laughs> yeah. Uh, which is an interview I'd like to be at. Anything else you'd like to tell us? Mm-hmm. Well, this is the, there's no pressure to be legal in, in, the, in the banking industry. These guys uh, break the law. Uh, they're breaking the law uh, quite openly, as, as are most of the people working in that industry. And the government has no will to enforce the law. So that's, I think that's just the first, you know, first idea that needs to be emphasized, that there's no, there's no attempt to uh, prosecute law-breaking. As a matter of fact, the Attorney General of the United States, a guy named Eric Holder, said that he couldn't prosecute bankers because um, he feared them. <laughs> I think we get an idea, Max, already of where you're coming from, but just so... <laughs> No, so just so the people in the audience uh, know, you moved to London for a very specific reason, didn't you? Yeah, there's, uh, there's a growing financial collapse or kind of uh, revolving or moving around the world. We saw it in Greece, we saw it in Ireland, we saw it in Cyprus, and it's coming to the UK. So we want to do our show here to get kind of a front row seat to watch the UK economy collapse. <laughs> <laughs> like Nero. Yeah. So you're knitting at the foot of the guillotine, basically, aren't you? Oh, we're building guillotines. Oh, yes, we are. Yeah, that's, uh, I think that's not... Uh, historically, the punishment for banksters has been um, beheading, uh, drawn, quartered, this type of thing. So uh, it's but something... But they're not being punished at all. I think what they're being told to do is sit in the corner now and think about what you did. Like, that is literally... They've been told, well, they'll all have to examine their consciences. I mean, I had to do that when I was a child, but when I was put in the corner, I'd be like, my God, I feel really bad about stealing that. God, I wouldn't mind a donut. I wouldn't mind a donut. Like, you don't really... That's not great punishment. And one of the guys, Hornby, has a job anyways as a head of a gambling organisation. And apparently that's doing really well. That's called HBOS. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's called the City of London. Biggest gambling bracket in town. The George Osborne disabled parking store is a a micro dot in the whole wider picture. This government, in your view, are they... Are they out of touch or are they vindictive? Um, well, can I, can I be really contrary on the George Osborne front? Feel free. As the 34th most influential figure on the centre-left, according to the Daily Telegraph. That's out of three million. That's out, out of three million people on the centre-left. 34th out of three million. That's well, who's 33? Mark Thomas. Uh, <laughs> Mark Thomas. <laughs> Mark Thomas is one of Mark Thomas is 33, 32, 31, 30, 29 and 28. Yeah, right, OK. Right, yeah. He, he got, I can't even remember who was number one. Who was number Mark one? Mark Thomas was number one. Yeah, Mark Thomas was number one. Anyway, as the 34th most influential figure on the centre-left. Guess what? I felt sorry for George Osborne for the first time in my life. I'm sorry, but I felt sorry. I'm sounding like those bankers. You know, all those three bankers, the only thing they've learned since the financial crisis, they've all had media training, and the media trainers said, just look down and say sorry. So whatever the question asked of Hornby and the others, I'm terribly sorry. And then they kind of smile and move on as if that's, that solves it. All right, sorry I lost 50 billion quid. Anyway, I felt really sorry for George Osmore because he wasn't in that car. Mm. And it was pathetic You've just of the mirror. You've just moved to 37th, by the way. Yeah, yeah I'll, I'll be out of the top 100 by the end of this evening. <laughs> You're talking um, You know, George Osborne is an idiot. And I feel most of the time, very angry about George Osborne. Does that get me up to about 34th yeah, again? Yeah, yeah. Of, um, and I was angry about the Cornish pasties because <laughs> um, before that budget, he was going around telling people like me, because even though I'm 
a 34th most influential left winger. He invites me in sometimes. He says, Steve, when you hear that budget, you will see it's going to be an influential, tax-reforming, historic budget. And we all went along. You know, Nigel Lawson, the old chancellor, went along to watch, dyed his hair black for the occasion, and heard Osborne, this will be an historic tax-reforming budget. I plan to put up the taxes of Cornish pasties, but only when they're warm at a certain time. It was insane, mad. So I, you know, Osborne has a lot to answer for on the Cornish pasty front, which, I, by the way, I don't think he's ever eaten one, uh, which became the huge issue of the day. But on this disabled parking place, he wasn't in the car. And so it was pathetic journalism to pretend that he was in the car. So for the first time ever, the mirror has made me feel sorry for George Osborne. Sorry to spoil your evening, what but I'm mean? now in a what state of sadness. He was at McDonald's buying a Big Mac. George Osborne said, now I've reversed the policy of putting up taxes on hot food. I can afford a Big Mac at that McDonald's. You park the car. I will get a tax-free Big Mac with a portion of chips. I will run it off tomorrow morning at St. James's Park, and I'll join you in a minute. And his driver said, right, old George. And he went off to get his Big Mac, and the driver drove into the disabled Place. You haven't quite nailed George's accent. I don't know if you saw his speech to the workers in <laughs> Kent. Yeah, week. sorry. That was how he used to speak yeah. <laughs> until this week. Yeah. We ain't going to let no people sniff off our benefits, are we? It's like, it's yeah. astonishing. We're all in this together. Yeah. You know, he's still got that high-pitched voice, but he pretends to be from the working class. Paul, I mean, the other, the other big issue this week, could you live on £53 a week, Paul? Uh, no, um, but I would like to say I actually agree with him to... Um, to be angry about George Osborne over disabled parking things, to miss the point of George Osborne completely. That's like being angry about John Terry because he's slow in the tackle. There are, there are, <laughs> there, there are a, a lot of... And, and I actually don't think it's George Osborne's fault. There is, there is a complex issue here with, with, with the whole welfare business. It's David Cameron's fault for surrounding him with ludicrously rich ludicrously privileged friends of his from Oxford University, which means none of them have ever actually met a poor person in their life and have no idea how the poor live. So how do they sell the idea of, of, of how poor people should live? And they haven't got a clue how to live on £53. I haven't got a clue. I do corporate work now. I, I, haven't, got, I, haven't, I, I haven't got a clue how to live on £53 a week. Um, and the idea that Ian Duncan Smith can pretend that he does is ludicrous. He lives rent-free in a mansion owned by a multimillionaire. He's never known how to live a normal life for don- donkeys. Years. No, of course, of course I couldn't. I've got no insight into how it is possible to live on £53. My dad was a doctor. My granddad was a doctor. My mum, a very big fan of Holby City. That, that's, that, 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 that's my background. And no, I've, I, I, I will openly admit I've got no insight into how it's possible to live on that money. Well, he, there's actually a massive online petition which is challenging IDS to to live like that, which he's called a complete stunt, which is pretty close to what we called him. <laughs> 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 when he said it, but it, it strikes... Steve, I mean, you know politicians. That was yeah, a, that I know. Was a, but that, isn't it a bizarre thing for a politician to say something that could be tested? Because it, obviously, as soon as he said that, people were going to challenge him to do it, weren't they? Yeah, no, it's a, it was a really naive thing to say. He is incredibly naive, uh, Ian Duncan Smith, which is why he only lasted about a week as a Conservative leader, but compared with David Cameron, he now seems like a giant, actually, in some respects. Um, But no, it was a really silly thing to say. I wonder, I mean, he'll obviously not do it, but he's in the same way as Osborne and Cameron were plagued about whether or not they ate a pasty. That became the big issue. He's going to be asked every time he appears now, so, Mr. Smith, could you live on... What is it, 53 quid a week? I mean, he was just silly to, to get into that trap. Is he like one of the Eton education? No, no, well? but his children go to Eton. I'm not from this country, so I can ask these questions. <laughs> he's, well, not, so actually, he's not. His you're kids not, are. He, you're, you're not native born. I'll tell you where I'm from at the end is a giant reveal. People always claim, people always say to me that the people of London are kind of. Uh, they're immune from the, the economic crisis that the rest of the country seems to be struggling. As you, you travel the country doing comedy gigs, yeah. does it feel like a country in recession to you? Um, I suppose you, you're immune from it in London. I suppose it, in other places, like the thing about... I mean, I personally have never had a pasty before I came over here, not because um, I'm, I'm um, uh, a very wealthy person, but more... I don't love, love chips, and you can have too many carbohydrates of a day. Um, but I think it does feel, as you go more north, it feels very much like Ireland and what's happening. It's a normal people, like labourers and stuff, who used to have jobs as electricians and builders and stuff like that, and that's just been taken away. So it's kind of um, a normal person. Is there an element of taunting, though, from Ian Duncan Smith? Because it seems like 
he's really taunting people with that comment, um, knowing that he can get away with it. Because at the same time that he'll make a comment like that, the his uh, the city of London is can they get by with only a billion pounds a week <laughs> in free money from the Bank of England in the form of quantitative easing? There's your welfare bums. There's your welfare queens. They're, those are the people that aren't benefits. That's the people that's degrading the economy. Those are the people that are. Um, supporting this political establishment that is, in return, awarding them with bonuses for outright criminal behavior. The HBOS guys committed massive crimes. As a result, people are starving to death. That's what Paul Moore, the former HBOS regulator, called a financial holocaust. That's a war crime. Let's go to The Hague. Let's take them on human rights issues. Let's hang them. I mean, that's a, <laughs> that's a legitimate concern. If you're going to hang Saddam Hussein, then hang these HBOS guys. They're as ugly, they're as, they're as depraved, and they look good with a noose around their necks. So, I'd, I'd I mean, like that, to point I out, think, I don't believe in capital punishment, whatever this is. Well, crimes against capital deserve capital punishment. <laughs> and if you're going to defraud a country and rob them, then you're a tyrant. And let's, let's get a spine here. Let's grow a pair. Let's take, it, let's take the fight to them. Let's, not, let's wait for the BBC to interpret it for us. I, we, I, we know what's going on. They've ripped us off. I think I applaud, that anger, I though, sense, is the yeah. same thing that's happening in Ireland, in that, like, if it was just the result of everything going badly, we'd all kind of take it on the chin. But it's when it's corruption and people gambling with other people's lives and they're not badly off. Like, oh, no, I just have an apartment now. Oh, God, love you. That must be really hard. Some people have to live in, like, B&Bs now with their kids. It's that sort of anger that's the same thing in Ireland, that you've got a whole generation all moving over here using your NHS. Thanks very much. We're like, rats, we're coming back. Um, <laughs> but, like, it's just a whole generation of angry people again, mm. kind of, and we were the same during the 80s. Like, I grew up... I was kind of born into a recession in Ireland, grew up during this boom where you were just given everything. Like I had as much education and jobs and there was never a question. We sort of developed the sense of entitlement that you see now with Irish 18-year-olds like Jedward who think they can rule the world. Um, but then we were sort of uh, dipped in again into but a recession and that kind of loop. The, the, re the reason they're all going on about it, Duncan Smith, George Osborne when he's had his Big Mac and David Cameron is not because they're out of touch but they're almost too in touch you know they get all the focus groups reports all the opinion polls and most of it is they think you're rich bastards oh Christ they, they hate you on this they blame you for this they hate you welfare cuts they really like you Let's go out and cut some more. So that's why they're doing it, because they think at last, after being hated... I mean, when they came in as leaders, this lot, uh, in opposition, they thought it would do them a lot of good to be nice to poor people. Mm. Do you remember Cameron went to council estates and hugged hoodies and come and let me kiss you, let me... Fuck off, mate. No, 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 please let me kiss you, you posh bastard. No, no, I want to hug you. So is that George Osborne and, talking to him? No, that's David Cameron. Now. <laughs> um, they've got a similar kind of voice before George Osborne changed into... A cockney. Um, uh, <laughs> um, and so, you know, they, they thought that was popular. Now they read everything they're doing is deeply unpopular. Actually, they hate the bankers because they think that's going to be popular. But the other thing is being tough on the poor. Mm -hmm. So they kind of read all this stuff. Ah, oh, that's the one thing. So we're going to hear acres of this for months and months to come and well, you won't ever hug a hoodie again it does feel somebody said that this government has declared war on the working class at the moment it feels like they're winning um, Max I don't know about well, that I'd like to, I, I, there's one thing I'd like I'd, I'd really applaud your sentiment earlier on about capital punishment Max obviously but as a decent, <laughs> as a decent middle class well, the country's you know, UK supports uh, terrorism and they're, yeah. and, and they're affiliated with the United States so if you're going to take that kind of violent attitude toward uh, transgressors then here you have bankers that are committing uh, financial terrorism so be Consistent. Just be consistent. All I'm saying. Just is, be consistent. All I'm saying is. That's I'm, all I'm saying. I'm not going to pull the lever. That's myself. all I'm saying. I'm not going to pull the lever myself. My Bulgarian builder, I will get him to pull the lever. <laughs> I'm too squeamish. One question. We do have to move on, Max. But there is. A, I know something you're particularly interested in. The, the Cyprus bailout. There are some very interesting interviews with the German public on television this week, where they seem angry and bemused by the fact that the rest of Europe seem to think they've done a bad thing in bailing out Cyprus. And there's a question then. Will the Germans stop bailing out other countries? And if they do, then what happens? No, Germany is doing great in this crisis because to the extent that these peripheral countries are imploding, it keeps the euro cheap, which is great for their export market. And as the chaos continues, they end up running the EU, essentially, out of Frankfurt. You know, when Cameron says, we're not sure whether we should join the EU, Germany and Frankfurt saying... Piss off, mate, because we want to run the euro. We want, to, we want the seniorage on the euro. We want that business. 
So he's going to talk himself, you know, walk right out of this thing, which is going to be damaging to this economy, which is part of, uh, you know, a very beneficial plan for Germany. Okay, we have to take a, a brief pause here because Nick Revel, our very own Nick Revel, has been considering a career change. Oh, I beg your pardon, a Korean change. Please welcome Nick mm. Revel. Mm. North Korea. Um, I, I'm not an expert in, in foreign affairs, but I think I'm qualified to comment on the situation, being British. Uh, because uh, North Korea and Britain, we, we, we have a lot in common. Um, hereditary heads of state. Uh, we both like a parade. <laughs> Neither country has achieved anything significant in football since 1966. <laughs> when England won the World Cup and North Korea beat Italy. Thank you. At... Ayrson Park. Ayrson Park, thank you. But one difference uh, between North Korea and us is that I, I think that if the United States, sorry, the United Nations, uh, announced, <laughs> announced plans for violent regime change in this country, I could just about imagine myself going on the protest march, uh, even with this government, maybe just about. But I've got to be honest, uh, I don't think I would honestly get out of bed to march uh, to save North Korea, uh, even now that it feels like the weather's getting a bit warmer. I just wouldn't, <laughs> wouldn't make the effort. I mean, let's face it, most of the poor sods who live in North Korea would probably welcome a nuclear strike to put them out of their misery. And, and anyway, how does nuclear deterrence work when you're threatening a country whose infrastructure would probably be improved by dropping the bomb on it? Uh, some people are optimistic, though, and they, they reckon that even if Com Kim Jong-un does have a viable nuclear warhead, he doesn't have a competent delivery system. But my fear is it doesn't have to be a rocket, does it? I mean, he could probably get 20,000 brainwashed schoolchildren to carry a warhead into South Korea disguised as a goodwill delegation, smiling, dancing with ribbons in a synchronized goose step, each of them with a detonator and half a kilo of plutonium rammed up their asses personally by their benevolent leader. And the most realistic prospect of peaceful regime change in North Korea is to hope that China will abandon self-interest for diplomatic and economic pressure based on out and humanitarian principles, which is about as likely as one of Kim Jong-un's inner circle telling him he's got a fucking awful haircut. In fact, I think that might be the reason for the crisis. His barber has defected to South Korea and he wants to drop the bomb on them out of vengeance. So, you'll say you make me look like John Lennon. I look like Mo from Free Stooges when I sing Imagine in karaoke, all integrity lost. I love that line. <laughs> of course, I was being flippant about the similarities between us and, and North Korea. There are huge differences. Obviously, there are. I mean, this country would never tolerate a regime which siphons the bulk of the national wealth into the pockets of a ruling elite while leaving huge numbers of the population struggling to stay alive and which spends a ludicrous amount of money on nuclear weapons in a vain attempt to give, a, give itself a false, inflated sense of its own importance on the global stage. <laughs> Sorry, I'm going to have to go away and rewrite this ending. <laughs> Thanks very much. Rebel. Steve, in North Korea, is it, is it a genuine danger or a grim anachronism? Well, it sounds pretty dangerous to me. A friend of mine, journalist friend of mine, was coming round to dinner at my house on Friday. This is, this is to do with North Korea, believe it or not. And he, he emailed me and said, I don't think I can make this Friday. And I said, why? You know, and mostly it's I've got a relative who's ill and all the rest of it. He said, I'm going to be in North Korea, um, which is a pretty good excuse when you think about it. Uh, then he phoned me today and uh, told me he wasn't, going to be in North Korea, he could make this dinner party, and he emailed me the email he had got. He was going to go in via a North Korean travel agency. Obviously, they don't allow journalists in. So he went, was going to go as a tourist to North Korea next Friday, and it was called North Korean Happy Holidays. <laughs> um, seriously, I've got the email. And um, the email said, dear Mr... I won't say who it is... Um, we strongly advise you don't come on holiday with us. We've discovered you're a journalist. And if you come on happy holidays, you probably won't return. <laughs> Yours, 
you know, some guy from North Korea. And I thought, isn't that a great marketing ploy Whoa. for Happy Holidays North Korea? Come on holiday with us to North Korea, and you may never return. <laughs> North Korea, Happy Holidays. It's a true story. I think if you saw um, that, if you so, saw that. yeah, I think we've got a lot to worry about. And the other thing they said on the email was, and your guide probably will not survive the holiday. Uh, you know, this is kind of, this is Happy Holidays North well, Korea. However... TripAdvisor can be harsh. <laughs> Yeah, so I think we've got a bit to be worried about. I don't think he's got the bomb, though, has he? Just, you know, if you want a happy holiday in North Korea, you're going to struggle for the next few months. Actually, this seems like a flippant question, but I, I genuinely wonder whether people don't take North Korea as seriously as they should do, simply because of Team America. Yes, I know what you mean. Um, about, well, the one thing I really worry about this is that, like, when we were all getting our jollies doing the Gangnam-style dance, I hope we weren't <laughs> accidentally saying anything that sparked the whole thing off. <laughs> you know, whoops, 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 whoops. Look, we just look like horses. No idea what he's saying. Nuns are doing it. Children. Barack Obama. Oh, yeah. Korea now. Screw North Korea now. Paul, talking of dictators, very briefly, because we do have to wrap up part one, but talking of dictators... Uh, oh, thank you very much. Paolo Di Canio. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 it's a subject close to my mind. Pa- Paolo Di Canio, basically. The, the whole Di Canio thing, what annoys me is that when he took over as manager of Swindon, the GMB, who used to sponsor them, they took their sponsorship back. A lot of people sent season tickets back. There's a lot of disquiet in the football world about the fact a fascist, a proclaimed fascist, was managing Swindon. It wasn't until he took over a Premier League club that everyone starts to work. Why is it an issue now? Why, why is it not an issue Three years ago when he joined British football as a manager. Why is it an issue now? Oddly enough, I can't really answer that, Kevin, other than to say that's the way the world works. The Premier League is the biggest entertainment franchise in this country. It's, it's, the, it's the wealthiest, the biggest, the most talked about, the most media hyped. And so, yeah, when you join a Premier League team, it, it does make a difference. I think it's about time Paolo Di Canio grew up and started talking about his political beliefs and what they actually are. Because at the moment, he's simply deflecting. And it may well be that he's genuinely ashamed of some of the things that he's done in the past or genuinely regrets. But it's time for him to take responsibility and say so. Because I think Sunderland are being very naive, really, mm-hmm. uh, by just taking everything at face value and saying there isn't a problem here, he's not a racist, he's not a fascist, um, everything's fine. I think they're being unbelievably naive. But we, we all know that football is, is a place where people ditch their morals very quickly and that success is, is, success is the big thing. I, I've always said that if it turned out that Peter Sutcliffe could, uh, could take penalties under pressure, <laughs> then, <laughs> then, then England fans across the country would be going, well, killing prostitutes is not proper murder, is it? I mean, <laughs> it, funny, it funny enough, there, there was a time in 2004, uh, Colonel Gaddafi expressed interest in buying... Crystal Palace, the club I support. Oh, yeah. And I was astonished by the amount of people who sat in pubs and went, I don't mind. <laughs> well, they're both very big in the 80s, aren't exactly. they? So they're in the Premier League, I don't care. It's just <laughs> astonishing. But also, I have to admit, um, David Miliband, Vice President of Sunderland, what a gesture he made very, to resign his four-day-a-week, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> his yeah. four-day-a-year job, just yeah. as he's about... It's just like me giving up Christmas pudding for the Just as he was heading off for New York. Yeah, um, yeah. 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 I know, what a sacrifice to the cause, eh? I think that's a great luxury, though, is it? To make a principle that you know won't change your life in any way, shape or form. There, there is a comedy club in North London that I won't play because he was once rude to a female comic. But they only paid 60 quid for, for, the, for the comic, so it's great to have a principle when it doesn't, <laughs> yeah. it doesn't affect you in any way, shape or oh, form. Well, if you won't do it, perhaps Ian Duncan Smith will. So, ladies and gentlemen, a man who will soon be known as the Richard Stilgo of the Netflix generation... <laughs> Is that good? Is that bad? Please welcome back Mr. Jay Foreman. next song is going to be um, on the subject of what to do when you find the news really depressing like we do at the moment. Bloody hell, bloody hell, the world is awful. Well, there's killing and starvation and injustice and religion everywhere. Everything, everything is looking dreary. There's too many people in the world and far too much pollution in the air. 
Everything I used to love has turned to shit All the world's gone bankrupt now And it doesn't look like things can soon improve I'm noticeably older than I was Definitely fatter just because I no longer feel the need to move Well, what do you do when the world around you makes you so depressed? What do you do when you've lost the motivation to get dressed? Pretend that you are happy and smile when you're feeling blue If you pretend you're happy, you'll start to believe it's true It's better to fake a smile than fill the world with woe So just pretend you're happy and nobody will know Bloody hell, bloody hell, the world is scary Cause there's nothing but corruption and destruction and reality TV Every day, every day I slowly realise Every single thing I used to know and trust is run by people just like me One at a time I'm losing touch with my former friends And lately it seems I never ring the contacts in my phone Every time I breathe it could be my last breath And I'm getting closer to my death For which I will probably be alone Well, what do you do when the world around you makes you so upset? What do you do when the... Do you know what? I've got the words wrong there. I'm going to try it again. What do you do when you've lost all the ambitions you once had? What do you do when the slightest inconvenience makes you sad? Pretend that you are happy and smile when you're feeling down. If your friends think you're happy, they'll still want you around. You'll realise it's important to be glad with what you've got. So just pretend you're happy and keep quiet if you're not. Pretend that you are happy and smile when you're feeling blue. If you pretend you're happy, you'll start to believe it's true. It's better to fake a smile than fill the world with... So just pretend you're happy and nobody will know. Thank you very much. Enjoy the rest of your evening. Thank you. Good night. Jay Foreman. We do astonishingly have a couple of questions uh, from the audience that are readable. Uh, now, Max, this is a question for you in particular. Okay. It's a little panel game for you. This is uh, Snog, Marry, Avoid. I'm going to give snog, you three... Marry, Avoid. So I'm an American, so, so marry, you... uh, Snog is to... Uh, to Gently to, fondle to, the lower to, back. To, to, no, it's... <laughs> to, to, to swap spit. Yeah, it's like kissing, but... Yeah. Swap spit. Yeah. There's always a smell of Bacardi breezer involved. It's like right. two rats... It, and shagging, that's, that's not shagging. Snogging is different than shagging. Yeah, snogging okay, is... Okay, snogging is just... A, yeah, yeah. Kissing. kissing. So I'm going to give you three names. Now we've ascertained what snogging is. Well, you've made it sound really dirty, actually. Yeah. <laughs> it's all so I know! It's an act of love. So, snog, marry, avoid. Ben Bernanke, Jamie Dimon, or John Corzine? Well, um, is Annalie raped on that list now? Just a moment. That's on. kind of a bummer, isn't it? Oh, no, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who thought of these poncy <laughs> British phrases, snog, marry, avoid? How about chain and beat to death? You know, as an option one, uh, Ben Bernanke. Uh, or, well, the worst of the worst has got to be Jamie Dimon, uh, if that's the point of this question, which I don't think it is, but let me say that anyway. Would you, could you briefly elucidate on who, who all three well, are? You know, Jamie Dimon and, of course, John Corzine, they got together and they... Before Cyprus, before people started stealing money out of people's bank accounts, Jamie Dimon and John Corzine colluded to steal more than a billion dollars from the accounts of customers of a firm called MF Global. So he set the precedent. He's the leader in financial... Uh, that was you know, in America, wasn't it? Yeah, it's in America. But, of course, all these crimes go through the city of London because the city of London has the worst regulatory uh, environment of anywhere in the, in the world. So MF Global went through London. AIG went through London. Lehman Brothers went through London. Uh, the, uh, because they have the worst laws uh, on the, uh, anywhere in the world, it's the easiest to commit financial fraud in London. So when Cameron says he's protecting the city of London, he's protecting the fraud capital of the world. And at, what point is, at what point <laughs> of crime do you change from anal rape to hanging? <laughs> 
Well, I mean, in the case of George Osborne, let's do both. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, here's a guy that was born to be drawn and quartered. With a head on a pike. I, I, I watched that show when they've got plenty of heads on pikes. Um, Sorry, which show did you watch? That go, show. Um, uh, I've, I've gone for that crazy show with the, the, the dragon. Yeah. Oh, okay. So, yeah, Game of Thrones. Let's, let's go Game of Thrones at number 10 and number 11. We'll, I heads on pikes. I mean, that's what this country's famous for. I thought we were talking about very hard. I think of Britain. I think of heads on here. pikes. But where is that today? Um, when the did Tower Snow- of London is closed, but it's fat American tourists. When did Snow Mary Reopen it! <laughs> Reopen the tower! It's still You've open. got a long line of eligible candidates. <laughs> I'm still. When did Snow Mary Avoid become annually raped, stick head on pipe? <laughs> Avoid. Because I would, I would watch that. BBC Three would do it. Right now, we're going to pitch a show to BBC Three called Annually Rape, Snog, Head on Pipe. <laughs> Point taken. There's another question from the audience, and actually, I might ask you this, Paul, because it kind of it doesn't give you any faith in the banking industry. What we're hearing tonight. Where do you keep your money? Well, my savings are in a box that I call the Edinburgh Festival, and (laughs) (laughs) it's where my ambitions are. Uh, (laughs) Same box, buried deep. Um, I, I feel quite smug about the fact that I've been so financially imprudent in the last. Uh, in the last 20 to 25 years, that I have no savings whatsoever, <laughs> and I, I have nothing to lose. I, I, I live a hand-to-mouth existence, and and I, I'm. Yeah, 53 pounds yeah. a week. Yeah, 53 quid. Yeah, yeah, no, I had a gig last night. I've got, I've got 53 pounds in my pocket from last night. Yeah. Uh, a promoter in North London that I swore I'd never work for. And um, <laughs> Max, where do you. Well, the bank? description of having no savings in, at all in the bank would describe the exchequer. This year, mimicking the, the performance of the country, who is technically insolvent, uh, with no money whatsoever. That's why I have to bring in a Canadian, Mark Carney, to uh, try to get the house in order. And I'll make this prediction that within six months, he will orchestrate a backstage coup and get rid of Osborne. Really? Yep, because he's a power-hungry man who is being sent by the, the folks to uh, do some things that are not going to be well-received. I would make that prediction. Steve, Osborne has given him all the... To be serious, can we be serious here? Well, uh, you, please or do, shall please. we make more jokes about... No, rape? no, no. no uh, <laughs> if you're going to say <laughs> to about be serious, being serious, Osborne has given Carney all the power. When Car- you want to right. kill Carney. Too much Carney power. Has got, will have so much power. Because mm-hmm. Osborne, underneath that Bullington Club facade, is quite an insecure figure. And wakes up in the middle of the night, help! And um, so he's given all the power to Carney. Uh, it's like buying in Sven Jor and Ericsson to manage England uh, or something. Everything is going to be carny, carny run from now on in Britain. Right. If you don't mind me saying so much, what you say there about getting rid of Osborne smacks of conspiracy theory. Does British politics, does that happen in British politics? Um, and very, very rarely. We spend as journalists all our time writing about conspiracies that never happen. Um, and feel endless. I'm speaking to someone who wrote for 10 years that Brown was going to kill Blair one day. Not, not literally, not literally, <laughs> uh, but metaphorically, um, actually almost literally at times. And it didn't happen for many, many years. So we spent all our time writing and broadcasting about some titanic moment that never happens. It's a very, very sad life we lead, actually. It's an outlying prediction. I'm not, I'm not going to you know, bet the farm on it, but I would, that's just a, a thought. Can I just say that if people are offended by my use of uh, violent terms... Uh, I, I don't want to offend anyone. I, I got the idea from watching the owner of the independent newspaper kick the shit out of a guy on live TV. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, it was an independent That's all I'd say yeah, about yeah. that. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. So yeah, it's your, your boss. Yeah, he likes to <laughs> kick the shit out of people on live TV. But <laughs> drink a cup of tea while he's doing it. Hello, darling. See, I'm really sorry to hear that, Max, because that was yeah. my next pitch to BBC Three. God damn it. <laughs> is this true, Steve? What were the Yeah, yeah, no, it was filmed. He's, he's facing a jail sentence for it in, in Moscow. Oh. Um, he was having this... It was a chat show, just like this, gentle, gentle evening. <laughs> <laughs> and, um... <laughs> and, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and, like then, in the and then he started beating up um, one of the guests. Uh, it was, you know, apparently the person he beat up is a fascist who 
deserved everything he got. Um, he wasn't De Canio. He wasn't De Canio, actually. <laughs> Says the Guardian. But, 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 yeah, the, the, the manager of Sunderland-to-be was on a Russian chat show being beaten up by Lebedev. That's not what quote... But apparently he was a fascist, and he beat him up on, not live a, on air. It may not be a quote, but it's going to be a tweet in about ten minutes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, somebody's asked about uh, the Miliband thing, David Miliband, uh, his wonderful, wonderful gesture of resigning from his four-day-a-year job. And about the, the sibling rivalry, basically. I'd, see, I'd like to ask you, Steve, a serious question and then come to the other people about their own siblings. Will David Miliband end up back in politics? No, it's over for him. And it's, you know, it's, it's on one level very, very sad. He's going to make a lot of money, but basically he will never get over the fact that he's not leader. And a lot of, again, very worthy columns were written about when he resigned, uh, David, a couple of weeks ago. But the truth could be written in one sentence. I cannot bear the idea that my younger brother beat me. Not physically. He beat, it was a leadership contest. It was a leadership contest. Um, and he can't, he, he can't cope with it. He's been in anguish, and you see him kind of trying to put a brave face on it. Simply because um, it's his brother or because he expected to win? A bit of both. Uh, from about, he's had from about 2008 people saying to him, David, it's you, it's you, you're the man of destiny. And when the destiny doesn't arrive and your younger brother takes it, it's quite a lot to cope with. And so he, you know, is doing his bit by leaving the country. Will Cameron, Cameron does that thing that Blair did, which is where he kind of hints that he has a religious belief, but yeah. feels that it would be bad for his career to actually admit that he has a religious belief. So will Cameron be upset by former Archbishop George Kerry saying that he's marginalising Christians? Will there be a personal note of upset for him? No. He'll, he, he will be again worried about the Daily right. Mail, slagging him off for gay marriage and things like that. But... Um, and uh, I don't know whether Cameron is religious. Is he? I mean, Blair genuinely yeah, was religious. Yeah, he talks about it. I mean, Blair, Blair prayed continuously. Um, and, um, prayed on the week. You couldn't, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and Max, I presume, the, the irony being that I, I presume a lot of the, the people that you talk about, a lot of the heads of banking institutions, especially in America, would, would profess to be Christians, I imagine, wouldn't they? They, they follow what we call market fundamentalism. They believe in the market as God. They worship people like Jamie Dimon. They don't pay much attention to these other religious leaders. The new Archbishop made the serious point, I think, that's worth talking about, that we judge too quickly, that a new government gets three months before we all turn on them, a new leader gets three months. Has he got a point? Do we jump to judgment far too quickly? Well, I suppose it's the same thing Obama probably had. I don't know what your feelings are on him, but you can't... It's very hard to overturn things dramatically. You have to do everything slowly but surely. Um, and But it is a bit of a random thing to say. You know, you, you can't trust humans because they're human. I mean, obviously you can't. I don't know if he's advocating bringing in robots or something like that to lead us. But, like, humans do make mistakes. And I'm sure, like you were saying, George Osborne, like, that must be a horrible night's sleep knowing that you've screwed over an entire country. Um, but, it, like, I, like, I feel guilty sometimes of have eaten too much during the day, so it must be really horrible if you screwed <laughs> over an entire country. You must, really, you must really struggle to get to sleep. Hopefully he struggles to get to sleep. I hope he struggles to get to sleep. Um, you mentioned two people there. You mentioned Justin Welby and George Carey. I think they're two very different people. Yeah, they are. I think Justin Welby is a very mature, very intelligent guy who understands the problems that Christianity faces in this country. And George Kerry is a di- George Kerry rather is a dinosaur, and quite frankly, an odious, obnoxious piece of shit, who um, <laughs> essentially has used his previous job as an Archbishop of Canterbury to justify any degree of bigotry, and doesn't right. seem to understand that the world has moved on. And for him, when he says Christianity is marginalised, what he actually means is, oh boo hoo, I can't stop gay men from getting married, and it's it, yeah. it, it, it's it's a cry for help, and it's really sad to see. And they need, I mean, just to where we shows that he understands the need for religion and Christianity in this country to move on and grow up, I think was exemplified by the gay marriage debate in the House of Commons, where there were an awful lot of people anti-gay marriage who presented eloquent uh, and erudite defences for their position. And then there was the Northern Ireland contingent, who were a completely different kettle of fish. And my favourite moment from British politics this year was one of the guys from Northern Ireland going, and what we must remember is that in the Old Testament, God created Adam and Steve. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, I'm glad to say I don't think Jester Welby is cut from that cloth. Steve, there's one last question I'd like to put to you. I'm intrigued by Ashlyn talking about politicians 
Really? Not being able Don't to sleep. Don't think anyone else is. <laughs> well, no, no, just the idea of politicians <laughs> laying their head on, on the pillow and, and worrying about the, what they're doing. In your Tossing experience, do, do politicians lose sleep about what they're doing to the government? Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I presume... Seriously? I mean, because I presume... Well, I presume well they lose sleep. Honestly, they, they are much more scared. That, you know, this thing that I hear all the time, these arrogant bastards are going to kill those arrogant... Well, <laughs> <laughs> um, Killing's fine. Uh, it's what happens afterwards. Is most the of them are scared out of their lives. I, I'll tell you a little story, just very, very quickly. At the sort of height of the new Labour honeymoon, when Blair was about 30% ahead in the opinion polls, um, and everybody said, you know, he was the greatest thing on earth. Um, I went to see him for a cup of coffee, and everyone was saying, what an arrogant thing this new Labour setup was. And I walked in and had a cup. Hi, how are you? Guys? Yeah, sit down. And then we started having this coffee. And then about halfway through, about four people rushed in. Alistair Campbell, this woman who worked with him, Angie Hunter. Tony, Tony, Tony. I said, what, what, what's happening, guys? He said, William Hague has changed his policy on rural post offices. <laughs> <laughs> Anyone would have thought they'd come in and announce that North Korea had launched the box. What, what do you mean he's changed his policy? He said, he's changed his policy. Are we going to change our policy? Have we got a press release? Scared out their lives. And this was William Hague, bald with his silly baseball cap. He was going to lose. They were terrified. And I find this all the time. The gap between that w- how we see them and the way they are is both tragic, mad, absurd. And most of the time, they are scared. And Twitter, to you know, it, you're right, it's really influential. And now what happens at Prime Minister's Questions, for example, you see Cameron and Miliband, once they've done their six questions, looking down on their mobile phone. Um, you think, Christ, what is getting a text from their wives or what, what's going on? And they're checking Twitter to get the instant feedback. And, it, of course, if it is Miliband was pathetic today, it ruins the rest of Oh, my God, I'm not never going to make it to Prime Minister. And, uh, you know, and similarly for Cameron once, Tommy looked at Twitter during a speech to see how it was going down. Uh, during the, you know, everyone was clapping. It's a quick look. So, Christ, they're not liking it. I, you know, um, so they are all now on edge the whole time. Ah, well, no, no, you're right. A lot of their losing the sleep is because they, they're worried that they might be kicked out very, very quickly. You're right. But actually, some of them are not like that. Some of them really do care. I mean, Good point, good you know point. What? I, was looking, I, was, <laughs> I was looking for a punchline to finish on. Me, no. Well, I'm an em- immigrant coming over, taking all your jobs, so probably not. <laughs> Always end, always end on the laugh, they told me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. We, have to, we have to vacate the room now so they can take your money for drink. As Steve's shamelessly plugged his show, Nick Revel is doing a wonderful show with Lee Camp. There's uh, many leaflets available for that. Uh, no Pressure to be funny returns on May the 5th next month, as does international freedom fighter uh, and tourist James O'Brien. In the meantime, please put your hands together for all the staff at Soho Theatre. Our musician, yeah. George Formey for the Angry Birds Generation, Jay Foreman, Ashlyn B, Steve Richards, Max Kaiser, Paul Sinner... Nick Rowell, Alistair Barry, my name is Kevin Day. Thank you for having me. This has been No Pressure to Be Funny. Thank you and good night. Thank you.